Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, podcast pet parents. It's Story from Forever 35. You've got plenty to do and don't need more to worry about, especially when it comes to your pets. So try Wonderside, a spray that kills and repels 100% of fleas and ticks and replaces spot drops or pills. Wonderside is a safe plant-based effective spray. And because it's plant-based, it's safe around kids and can be used on dogs and cats of all ages. It also smells amazing. We sprayed my dog with the lemongrass flea and tick spray and he actually smells good for once. Try Wonderside flea and tick spray for 20% off at wonderside.com slash podcast and make sure to use code podcast at checkout. Again, that's Wonderside, W-O-N-D-E-R-C-I-D-E, wonderside.com slash podcast. Hi, this is Helen Stenbeck. And this is Jessie too. And you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under. Hi everyone. How's it going, Jess? <laughs> it's great. I'm having a good week. Uh, very productive. Mm-hmm. A lot of things going on. Um, excited about Joe Biden's pick. Oh yeah, yeah. I was going to mention it before that we started. Um, Camilla mm-hmm. Harris. Mm. Yeah, you know, the first thing that um, where I heard the news from was yesterday morning at the breakfast and my son like came down quick, like really in the like urgent sense. He goes, oh, did you know who Joe Biden picked? And then I'm like, what? Because I haven't heard about anything about Joe Biden for months, you know, I mean, leading up to the campaign and all that. And then he told me, is this um, biracial lady? Yeah. well, I don't think anyone calls her biracial. She calls herself black. Oh, okay, okay. Well, she's she's her mother's Indian, her father's Jamaican. Okay, that's interesting because from the the, the community of biracial kids, that they're calling her mm. biracial. Anyway, biracial, uh, yeah. Right. However, okay. that we're gonna identify her. Yeah, and then my daughter was asking, "Oh, so who's this lady?" And then we start showing her pictures and then you know reading mm. the news. And mm. then my daughter Aya, she was saying that, oh, okay, so what's what's this happening? What's the position um, yeah. uh-huh. she's going up for? And I explained uh-huh. to her, oh, she's the uh, vice president candidate uh, for Joe Biden, uh-huh. and she's asking, uh-huh. um, okay, what's vice president? Why isn't she the representative? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I list, I read um, Frank Bruni's op-ed um, about Kamala Harris uh, mm-hmm. this morning, and he mentioned that she could be the first woman of color, yes. black um, yes. vice president. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I started crying when oh. I was putting on my clothes, and I started crying. It's really emotional. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it, mm-hmm. but it's really, really emotional to have that actually be possible Mm -hmm. for me like and she half her mother is Indian so I guess she's half Asian Asian, you know Mm -hmm. that's really really emotional yeah don't you find that emotional I cried when I heard that that actually is the reality of what could happen Mm -hmm. like I I I think I didn't I think I didn't allow myself to to realize that because um I honestly think Trump will win in November like I almost have no doubt at all so um mm-hmm. so I guess I never really thought about the the prospect of Kamala Harris actually being a vice president but um to have to see to hear Frank Bruni say that is quite just to hear someone else say that actually it's possible is quite it's so just emotional mm-hmm. Don't, do you get emotional I get so emotional <laughs> yeah I got emotional when when Hillary didn't win you know, oh, everyone did. All, all, all women cried. Yeah, yeah. I, know. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to. I don't know. I don't want to put my hopes to, up too much, but mm. in the sense of having uh, Harris as a candidate for vice president, uh, like standing beside Joe Biden, I'm hoping that there will there's impact to it. I'm, I'm looking forward because my son told me that there's going to be. I didn't even know about this until he told me yesterday. Yeah, there's a debate between vice president candidates. I always thought that there's only the president candidates. But anyway, yeah, looking forward to, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, I think it's October 7th or 8th between Mm -hmm. Pence and Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. That'll be awesome. And um, Frank Bruni says in his op-ed that she's going to eat him alive. (laughs) So I'm really, we're all looking forward to that. Uh Yeah, it's amazing. Great. 
Okay, so what are we talking about today, Helen? This week, we will be talking about cultural appropriation in food, whether or not that how we identify the issues of appropriation in culture in, in the aspects of food industry. Um, mm. So the conversation and this discourse in, initiated um, by the Facebook group of a Taiwanese diaspora around the world. The group's goal was to share ideas and recipes of Taiwanese cuisine during COVID isolation, of course. You know, if you look into the algorithm, I think there's a lot of food groups popping up in Facebook because, you know, yeah. everyone's staying at home and then yeah, um, you just have to cook by yourself. Anyway, one of the threads began by this wonderful lady, Tiffany, in UK. She's chatting about her recent observation of an amateur cook in UK. Uh-huh. So I'll just quickly quote uh, of her, what she said in her post. She said, I have a genuine question about food culture appropriation. As someone who grew up in both cultures, I cook from both cultures. And however, she said that she's too bothered to see if she sees a non-Asian person selling Asian food. Recently, someone I do respect released a book. She is white and she has a bit of a fang in the UK. She's always been known mm. for her noodles and dumplings. Mm. She went as far as to China for two weeks to learn to make noodles from the masters. I mm. just saw her new book and yeah. that she included Chinese pepper pork bun, uh, hu jiao bin, because I know that she's been Taiwan once in her life. I don't know her in person, and maybe she's done extensive research on the dish, but I still bo- it, but it still bothers me that Asian restaurants in UK are being chastised and losing business due to the pandemic. But a cute Caucasian girl selling Asian cookbooks uh, is yeah, being right. celebrated. Sorry, back to my actual yeah. question. Am I just being sensitive that I'm bothered by this, or is this a genuine problem? What do you think? I'm just going to quickly reflect on what I've read so far in this discussion. Some members of the group, are they have interesting feedback. Some argue that it's great seeing Asian foods manifest itself in Western nations. It doesn't really matter who represents them. Some are actually calling Tiffany that she's hating, which I absolutely do uh-huh. not agree. And of course, some members like more... <laughs> more intellectually um, stimulated members share their thoughts through sharing articles and the disc- uh, and discourses on the food culture appropriation, which we will look into a bit later. My uh, feeling towards this, uh, when I was reading the post, I kind of I got in touch with uh, mm. Tiffany and I asked her um, about the actual. Uh, this I don't know. Do you call the celebrities influencer? Yeah, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Influencer, yeah. And then I looked up. Uh, this person's name is uh, Pippa Middlehurst. So she's actually uh, to give you like to give our listeners a like a uh, background is that she's a cancer researcher, scientist, and cook, and she published a book called Dumplings and Noodles. As you said, that she's an Instagram oh God, influencer. Audacity. Jesus. The audacity. Yeah, yeah. let me... Uh-huh. <laughs> and then um, on the description of uh, uh, that's posted on uh, Book Depository, it says that from a young age, Britain's best home cook... Sh- uh, what was it called? Britain's best home cook winner, Peter, uh, Pippa Middlehurst, longed to be able to make authentic Asian food at home but struggles to find approachable cookbooks and resources. <laughs> what? That is so insulting. Anyway, go on. I know. So it says that uh, dumplings and noodles. That's a book. Is a book that she wishes to have begin. She had it in the beginning. She now have a crowdfunding campaign to set up a menu called Noodle House. Hey, the house spells H A U S. You know, it's like I think I think it's a um, language play using I don't know German. Yeah. She intends to have a menu as a cookery school slash event venue. When I first approached Tiffany to talk about this issue. I kind of, I was just thinking, okay, I'm not going to make judgment first, but I want to look into this person and research on her before that I make my own conclusion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. the more I look into it, I'm just like, what the fuck? Seriously. What do you mean? It was um, what she's talking about, how there wasn't any cookbook for her to approach, her to, for her to approach 
mm. um, in the food industry, Asian food industry, mm. particularly in noodles and dumplings. I feel like that's kind of insulting because I'm sure there's tons of book that's out there yeah. that is possibly that is not in English, but I'm sure that if you're really into it, why can't you look into the actual origin mm. of what noodles were made or started and look into the language and I don't know, just try to get someone to translate it for you or give space to those people who are already in the industry who are not um, white, like who are people of colour, have the people of colour, like particularly Asia, I'm just in the sense that I'm talking about Chinese now, um, that are already in the industry and are struggling to, I wouldn't say being popularised, but it's just something that doesn't set right to me like what, what I'm reading about her what do you think so when she says in her booktopia description I didn't grow up seeing any um, books about dumplings what she was ostensibly saying is I didn't see any in English yeah yeah is that what you're saying yeah I'm, I'm, I'm that's assuming your interpretation. That's, yeah, yeah that's my interpretation and before when I made the comment about her being audacious is the fact that, like, I keep thinking about Baba, my, our father, and mm-hmm. his comment, Ga Teki Jia. I keep thinking that because she just had, she just felt, you know, I have the right to come into this world of Asian cuisine, which has had, you know, a longer history than her ancestral cuisine has had. And she felt that it was marketable and commodity. She felt that she had the right to commodify on that, mm-hmm. um, on something that maybe for her it didn't seem like like uh, food for us in Asian cultures is an identity, and I think that mm-hmm. and there's a lot of political weight behind that. Yes, and she, I don't think she understood that. She doesn't understand that. Obviously, that's why she had the audacity to do what she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for our listeners who are not probably haven't come across um, the term cultural appropriation. So it means that the uh, adoption of an element or elements in one culture by members of another culture. And this can be controversy when uh, the members of a dominant culture appropriate from the disadvantaged uh, minority culture. Yeah, I have to just stress on that last point. Mm -hmm. That's why when you asked me, you asked me last week whether a bunch of hipster white guys opening up a dumpling place in Newtown was mm-hmm. as bad as like um, an a-, a group of Asians opening up a burger joint. And mm-hmm. I told you the latter was not as offensive because mm-hmm. we're not the dominant main group. That's right. Yeah. And it's, I think the food hasn't been really discussed as that much because appropriation, you know, people thinking about culture in the context of, of literature, uh, literature, um, yeah. fashion, language, right. yeah, you know, something that is more visible. I wouldn't say visible, but it's just something that we are more aware of. But whereas food, it hasn't been really discussed as that much. Do you think that because food is a more, bit more arbitrary, you know, to determine whether or not it's actually appropriation or appreciation? I think it depends how you like we're talking about food creation right we're Mm -hmm. not talking about consumption and i think Mm -hmm. because um since you know since immigration has occurred in australia we have had a massive like i'd say the most prevalent diversification of um multiculturalism in australia has been in the field of food right Mm -hmm. um you know uh, white people eat japanese but they don't as prevalently read authors from Japan, for instance, mm-hmm. you know? So it's it's like more of an accessible f- aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. But you and I today, we're talking about who who gets to say, I am the authentic creator of a type of food. And that's, that's right. where we are saying it's controversial if, if you know, say someone like Pete Davey, Pete Evans, is that that paleo guy? Say like <laughs> next week he comes yeah. out with a book of like sushi... <laughs> Sushi, um, I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> sushi iterations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be, I think he would cop a bit of a backlash on that. 
Okay, so according to my research this week, um, I've looked up a couple of the um, websites, and there's a there's actually a community based institution. I think it's in in Seattle. It's called Groundview. So the writers said that the cultural appropriation of food can look like uh, the following: restaurants with white front of house, you know, the host, the waiter, etc., and the brown back of the house, you know, the cooks and dishwashers. Uh, people of color, yeah. That's right, yeah. Uh, white chefs selling burrito. This is quite controversial. I think it was two years ago uh, in Portland, Oregon, that there were two white women that they say that they took some of the recipes from Mexican families and commodified it, you know, and, as into like a food truck business. But I think right. later it was shut down. Yeah, some, uh, there was a big story about it. Mm-hmm. The next one is having your childhood lunch ridicule. Then it's instantly <laughs> become a trend of the moment. A white chef decides it's exotic and exciting. Yep. Uh, has that happened to us? Wait, you said you said two things. Oh, the first one. That, sorry. The yeah. uh, childhood lunch being ridiculed. Yeah, every, every single fucking immigrant in this mm-hmm. country has, ev- has all experienced that universally. Well, what was the second point? Oh, um, they instantly become a trend of the moment that a white chef decides exotic and exciting. I think that's happening right now. That is exactly why I'm angry about this whole concept. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, it's almost, you know how there's that, you know how there's that old New Yorker comment, um, cartoon where a woman in, she's the only woman in the boardroom and then she makes an idea and then it's completely ignored. And then when a white, and when a man makes a point, mm-hmm. it's get, it gets heralded yes. as like respectful. This is exactly the same thing. Like, um, I could, I, as an Asian woman could espouse some sort of trend on mm-hmm. Instagram. And the moment a white woman does it, it's suddenly like revered. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. That's, that's what I'm angry about. The fact that I don't have as much social, clout as a white person and we pay attention to white people and what they like much more Mm -hmm. yeah that's what i hate that's what i'm angry with yeah about and i think it's also that i found that there was um asian immigrants that have different ideas about you know how the kids lunch been ridiculed and now it's been celebrated the same type of food i i feel like the um Immigrants that's been in Australia or in other Western countries that's been longer, for example, for us, like I think we haven't come out of the healing. We're still in the healing process of being ridiculed and bullied when we're young. But whereas the newly immigrants, what they see now is that, oh, those who have been celebrated, what, what the fuck are you so sensitive about? You know, why do you have to be so critique about how the food is being celebrated now. We're still in a healing process, but a lot of people that are not have not gone through that experience don't feel the same. Can you give an example of um, a, a, a thing in a child's lunchbox that is now being celebrated? Because I can't think of any. Um, spring rolls. R- what? Really? Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't even think of spring rolls as Asian. What about? It's been so like. Yeah, it's been. It's just been fusionized, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like, become a bit more universal. I think that's the thing. Like, when would you consider burger as an American item or a Western food? I think a burger is very Western. I don't know if I'd say it was like American, Mm. but it's definitely not Asian. Mm -hmm. I don't think burger and think Asian. Mm But like when you say like um when you when you refer to uh child kids immigrants lunchbox like particularly Asians I think of barwan or mantol and I don't know if they're still like I don't know if any white chef has revered that in the last couple of years I I don't know about that you mean barwan is in the the one week and the right the um you know the thing that mum used to make that was like rice oh but packed into a bowl that's <laughs> one. Is it? Yeah, fan tuan, isn't it? Yeah, fan tuan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Du, du, du. I thought you were yeah. talking about ba wan. Ba wan is the oh, okay. meatball yeah, one. Yeah, fan tuan. Uh-huh. Yeah, so fan tuan is uh, the... And, and I remember taking it out in lunch and people would be like, 
scratching up their noses because it'll have a very pungent smell. Yeah. And I'd be mm-hmm. always super embarrassed. Because our uh, rice ball, the feng wan, in, uh, yeah. the Taiwanese style one, we have the pickled radish. Yes, so that's, that's it. And that smells. It, that, yeah, it like, has the smell. It has a pungent smell. Yeah. Do, 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 do. I've seen I've I've seen and heard a couple of stories from like first generation immigrants about their lunch being ridiculed and now it's been popularized. For example, um, not not particularly an item, but the smells of like fish sauce. Oh, yeah, like okay. southeastern you know cuisines that right. have fish sauce, and it's actually like if if you don't grow up with a certain smell, that like, you you think it's terribly weird and strange, but mm. now they like. Look at Thai food and Indonesian food there. Like, they're everywhere. They're popping up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the last uh, cultural appropriation of food that was said in the website is Asian-inspired menus at restaurants or white bloggers posting healthy soul food recipes. Should we talk about Lucky Lee? Yeah, do you want us to... So I mentioned this to... Helen and I talked about this last week mm-hmm. um, because I think last year I had sent it to you, Hel. Yes. It was controversial. Can you tell us a story about Lucky Lee? So there was this restaurant that popped up in was it in New York City, isn't it? Yes. Yep. The restaurant name was Lucky Lee, and it was started by two white couple and the female chef. Whatever chef, I don't know. Her background is nutritionist studies, and they want to open a Chinese restaurant that's focused on clean eating that's the term they used there that's the term that's exactly the term that they use and they were kind of saying that they want to have the they want to sell the asian food but in the sense that is uh what no oil and no msg and in the very clean way of cooking and that's just literally saying that all the other asian restaurants what the food that they're selling is what not clean yeah <laughs> Yeah, as though it's um not healthy. Yeah, it's as though it's not healthy. Like she's putting a moral, she's moralizing it basically. I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how do you determine like who who is she to decide that what kind of food is um clean? Yeah. Like I, I can't, I I literally cannot understand why. Well, I think I think. She, she, I think she means um, healthy when she uses the word clean. Yeah, she yeah, means healthy. I, I can understand on that term, but when she has to, why, why can't she just have a something like, I don't know, cafe food or not even having, she just have to have a, a type of food and that is mm. ethnically based with Chinese and then call it clean eating. What would you, would you be eating at that place? No, because I eat Chinese food not to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, like it's same with pasta, right? And Italian food. Italian food is not. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's not healthy, but I mean, let's. I we could riff about what healthy is, right? For mm-hmm. for ages and ages. Um. Um. For her, maybe she was that woman. That woman who decided to run Lucky Lee. She was very much opening that restaurant for a specific, very small, minute, narrow cohort in society. And I would say that they were the upper echelons of the Upper East, upper east Side um, mm-hmm. mo- mothers who have, you know, a pedigree of generations of wealth where everyone went to Harvard or Columbia and everyone is skinny. Like she, there's a picture of her online and she's very, very slim. I think what she meant by healthy and clean Asian food was Asian inspired cuisine that does not have any like carbs or fatty oils or high sugar or gluten, you know, all these things that somehow in the West people have in the last couple of decades with Mm -hmm. this whole fucking like um, obsession with weight loss that it's now everything is either to food has become moralized, you know, that's what I mean. Like, Food has become this place where people get to judge other people. Like if you are eating carbs at a restaurant five nights a week, people feel like they can judge you and say, oh, what, you're trying to get fat? Mm. You know? Mm. And I don't, like, I love Asian food. I love Chinese food because I, I, like, I don't really think, because I'm not someone who is obsessive about weight, 
um, I don't think of food as either good or bad. I, I, I think of it as if I enjoy it or not, you know? What about, what about you? What are you thinking? I'm thinking that the same as you. I don't think that... I feel it's very racist when she when they want to present um, clean food and then put a label on it that we're selling Chinese food. Like I do, I, I have a doubt of whether or not, like we never ate there before, but I have a doubt of whether or not that is really authentic. And it's like, I, I know that from what you're saying is there's a niche market of people who are just so house, house conscious about what they eat but they will want to eat Chinese food but then Mm. when you go to the normal Chinese restaurant whereas you know you see all these sauces um, Mm. the way Mm. that they cook is deep fry and things like that it might not be not as healthy but yeah I I was just thinking that gosh if you're going to be that healthy self-conscious about what you eat don't don't eat Chinese food then that's it you know (laughs) you don't deserve Chinese food if you so so anal about it. Right, okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to say just cook it yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, you... just cook it yourself. I don't know. Mm. Maybe that's another market that people or white people will be exploring into it, you know, like the pre, pre-prepared <laughs> packaged time of food. Yeah, this conversation, this conversation with you has made me think about what I eat. Like, I have to say, mostly when mm. I go out with friends, we're either Italian or... Or like just steak, M- mostly Italian. I- I'm really yeah, yeah. I really like Italian food. It's easy. It's delicious. Um, mostly pasta. It's so easy. It's yeah. just easy. I I eat I eat because I eat what mm-hmm. feels good. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the main purpose. What about yeah. you? When you can you can you like when you think about the restaurants you go out and eat with your family? What would you say the d- predominant cuisine I think it would be? be Asian. Or just something, like you say, comforting oh, really? food or Mexican. <laughs> like up on the coast, you know, that we have very limited oh, like Asian cuisines. But yeah. I'll, I'll just go for like, Asi- yeah. uh, sorry, uh, Mexican food or barbecue joint. Like when I want to, when I have a right. chance to go out and eat, I'm not going to think about fucking healthy issues. <laughs> I just want to go out and enjoy food. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, um, there's another article that I looked up. Uh, it's written by Rachel Gao, uh written in everyday feminism this is a bit of uh old article but nevertheless it's quite relevant i think what she said she said that food is appropriated when people from the dominant cultures like what i said white folks you know start fetishizing or commercialize it and where they hold access uh then where they hold access to that particular food entire regions become deduced to menu options and ingredients without any sort to the many different community in the places. I think there was a, um, when we're talking about hoarding, uh, I want to discuss yeah. about just the recent years how a particular ingredient or a particular type of cuisine that was really just normal stuff in a certain region. Uh-huh. And now because yeah. of the Western nations popularized and now it's kind of there's an inadequate um, supply for the local community, and the local community oh, really? could not oh, afford yeah. it. I'm I'm specifically talking about okay. um, I think from my memory yeah, is Kina. Kina. What? Sorry. Kina. You know that? that little type of like a grain stuff that you people put into their um, morning cereals or breakfasts. Uh, how do you spell Q-U-I- it? Q-U-I-Kingwa. Oh, you <laughs> yeah. Is that, did you pronounce okay. it Kingwa? Okay. I pronounce it Kina. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, apparently, the, it's originated from like a region in Bolivia. And now, um, yeah, yeah. because Western countries like Australia, America, you know, those kind of healthy, health food, you know, supplies. And then you have yeah. weight training people or fitness gurus that's uh promoting it yeah and the demand has gone up yeah right interesting yeah it's quinoa is amongst other things like kale and shit like that that are in the last few years have been deemed like superfoods mm-hmm. and goji berries yeah. is another one like we you and i we've had goji berries our whole life from like the chinese supermarket and like it's cost like 
five dollars a packet a large packet but like if you go now into the health food store in glebe Mm -hmm. it's fucking like 20 bucks for a little tin (laughs) because you know they can hike it up Mm -hmm. because you know white people don't know Mm -hmm. where to get these things cheaply yeah yeah, like you just mentioned the hiking the price up. So I'm going to quickly go down the path of mm. uh, gentrification and racism of street yeah. food. Oh, my goodness. Yes. How much can we That's talk really... about it on this? Yeah. So usually when we're, we're like, we were growing up eating Chinese food all the time. Yeah, we did. And then when like when we're in our adult, we start, you know, having, we're starting to kind of, getting the idea of diversity in food culture in Australia, like mm, when we're starting mm. to have money of our own. But I think usually that I would, when I want comfort food, I would still go back to having Asian food. Right. I think it was last year that I went out with my friends mm. to have lunch and one of them suggested to go to one of the Chinese restaurants that's in Emmo. Yeah, Emmo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's called, called Queen Chow. So it's owned by Merrillville, by white people. Oh, okay. I didn't know about I this. I don't think I've like, been here. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know about this until like, like when I'm researching for this topic. Uh-huh. Um, Merrillville is like a development, wealthy development enterprise, you know, currently owned by the um, Herms family. Justin. Um, they, oh, God. Justin. Yeah, Justin Herms. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. So, God. They are the establishment for like hospitality and mm. fashion industry. My experience from eating at Queen Chow was okay. It's nothing special, honestly. Yeah. Mm. But the price is like two folds of a normal, like similar standard of the other Chinese restaurant. Mm. I'm paying $30 for something that I'll usually pay for like $15 in a similar standard of Chinese restaurant. Right, yeah. And I remember like during the lunch, we were the only table are, that are, is Asian, yeah, yeah, and the rest are all white people, middle, yeah, middle aged white people. Well, it is and more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but can I ask you a yeah, question? A did you notice? Graphic. Did you notice who the chefs were? I've noticed that the the people in the kitchen, which I kind of I kind of have a quick glimpse when yeah. I was going to the bathroom. Yeah, people of color. Well, specifically color. what Asians. Um, I'll say Southeast Asians. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how that's how I I I saw that they were Southeast Asian. Of course, I, I didn't know their real identity, yeah. but I feel like yeah. And the waiters were white. Yeah, interesting. There are so many. Um, I think w- there was a running joke between me and a past boyfriend where um, he would say like um, th- or maybe it was mum. I've totally forgotten whether it was this dude or mum said like um the best chinese restaurants are not the ones that are opened up specifically for white people so like mm-hmm. queen chow you say i would say is like one of those um institutions that are specifically for you know the palate of a specific type of entitled white person um in the yes. in the inner west or just like north shore mm-hmm. like um Mr. Yeah. Wong, Kylie Kwong's, um, um, or Kylie Kwong's, anything Kylie Kwong opens, that's also like another very specific type of Asian food that caters to white people and they know they can hike mm. the price up monumentally. Yeah. The best Asian yeah. food is like in Kappamatta or um, Ashfield or Eastwood. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because when you're saying that about, that, you know, how the restaurant that's only catered, like, not only, but majoritarily, like, catering for white people. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, like, Spice Temple, that's owned by Neil Perry. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I went there. I went there with Martin. Oh, my God. I was just looking at the menu the other yeah. day. Like, the Gong Bao Ji Din Kong Pao Chicken. Yeah. It's $49. Yeah. Fucking $49 for the same type of dish that even like Din Tai Fung we think is a very upper market yeah. To, restaurant Yeah, ready. to me, I think... Din Tai Fung sells it for $19. That's, yeah. I mean, both are ridiculously priced. you got to question that. How much profits are these people, yeah. white people, are making? Because they know they can. And also, you know, that like there's questionable business morales of like wage, wage, wage <laughs> theft, you know. Yeah, definitely. I do always wonder when I look at... Like, actually, I have to say... <sighs> In the last six months or so, I've been much more aware about seeing Asians around me, right? 
And I have to mm-hmm. say, like, if I was not Asian, the only Asians I would see were cleaners or, like, people who mm. work at the back of a restaurant or a cafe. I'm seeing, so, like, my local cafe is, like, like literally 50 metres from my house. Uh, it's very, very trendy. Like, it's very hipster. Clean, smooth mm. timber, white walls, very um, hipster-looking artworks on the on the on the walls um and all the patrons are always white people every time i walk past it heaps of young white people right and Mm. guys with beards skinny girls and um every single person behind the counter hell um the barista and the and the waiter people are asian Mm. and like you can tell you can tell that they're trying to be like all like matey with the white people they're like oh yeah how's it going chris yeah like and like it's just it makes me uncomfortable you know that the only do they asian do the same to you oh yeah they do, do they they, say... they do yeah i think because uh-huh. i dress like a hipster they just assume i'm one of those <laughs> fucking asian hipsters which i'm not uh-huh. <laughs> um and like it just makes me irk that the only asians i see are these people behind the counter you know mm-hmm. and like these mm-hmm. white people who go there for coffees and they're Sunday brunches they probably don't have one single Asian friend and their only encounter and engagement and relationship with an Asian person is with their barista mm-hmm. makes me mad <laughs> but do you think it's also like an opportunity for Asians to get into like cafe business I, I know there's a lot of Asian that is like I have friends that's running cafe you yeah know, too but we don't talk about them getting into the space of what Originally, that was probably dominated by white business Europeans. people. Yeah, Europeans, Europeans, right. Yeah, yeah. I love that question. Let me ruminate on that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Cool. Cool. I think it's funny. <laughs> Do you think pineapples on pizza oh, is a yeah. crime? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I put that in my I, notes. I Do you so. think it's a crime? I, I don't like pineapples on pizza, okay? Oh, that is okay. so weird. It's yeah. just the texture and the sweetness. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think I came to... <laughs> Uh, I think I got used to eating pineapples when we moved to Australia. Like, oh, okay. I remember, I don't know if you remember this. The first time we got pizza in Taiwan, this is when yeah. I was like seven. Dad bought pizza home. This is when like the first pizza joint that was open in Zhanghua. Oh. Yeah. Cool. And they, I think he, he, because for safety reasons, he ordered like really basic ones. So Hawaiian one, yeah, Hawaiian pizza uh-huh. was one of them. So there was just like well, ham, cheese, and pineapple. Uh-huh. And I remember either like you or Lisa or our mom was saying that, why is there fruit in the savory pizza, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Like no one, like none of us can get around why, can understand why is there fruit in the, on the pizza. Yeah. And I remember that night, none of us, like we probably just ate one piece and the rest of them went to dad. <laughs> Can I say that um, I have no qualms about fruit in a savory dish um, because there's one example I'm about to mention that mm-hmm. um, is like my favorite dish in the world, but it's just fruit on pizza. bread. Bread, okay. yeah, because pizza is mm-hmm. a bread, right? It's just fruit yeah. on bread is weird. Uh, the only thing I like is raisin toast, I'd say. That's oh, the only yeah. exception. But um, um, the my favorite dish in the world is um, that Taiwanese one where – there's um, king prawns with pineapple. Oh, yeah. Sprinkled in mayonnaise, yeah. sprinkled with yeah. hundreds and thousands. Yeah. What is that yeah. called? Uh, feng li xia qiu. Oh, my God. That is. Yeah. So basically, if you don't know, it's king prawns peeled with mm-hmm. um, a bunch of um, pieces of pineapple, doused, absolutely doused in mayonnaise, then sprinkled with hundreds and thousands. That is the fucking yeah. best dish in the world. I think it's just the texture of the prawn and yeah. the pineapple goes well together. Yeah, and, and then the, the sauce, the mayonnaise. mayonnaise. Oh my god! The visual, like the visual decoration of the hundreds and thousands. Yes, well, every kid that I know in Taiwan loves that dish. Yeah, like it's something that you will just, I don't know, go down with the rice perfectly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so this Washington Post, the food reporter King Carmen had written in 2017 about the uh, controversy of two white chefs selling burritos. They traveled to Mexico, learned to make burritos from reluctant locals. So some have interpreted that they were stealing their recipes and and they opened a food truck. Eventually, uh, they had to shut down their food truck. The argument that the reporter was saying that he thinks that the white chefs as food ambassadors. In his defense, he quoted Krishna Du Ray, 
an associate professor at New York University, in favor of cultural appropriation, only if the outsider embraces more the plate of food sitting in front of them. Here's the associate professor Ray said that if you pay attention to the food and the language and to their lives, there is no colonizing act. I, in general, do not think appro- appropriation is a bad thing. There is there's this discussion about fru- uh, cultural appropriation. Should we all be imprisoned in our little holes with our cultural wars and completely uh, closed off to others? I don't fully agree with his statement uh, simply because a lot of uh, food culture appropriation that I'm seeing, even though they're embracing the food, they don't embrace the people or they don't embrace the language at all. Like what I've just said, like we mentioned at the very beginning, you know, Middlehurst that she's saying that there's no other cookbooks that is available or approachable for her. That's just because that she doesn't look into other languages. Yeah, and she doesn't join Asian communities. That's she right. doesn't have Asian friends. Yeah. If she had an Asian friend, her Asian friend would say, "Uh, hello, there are like tons of books. You know? Yeah. That's, yeah. And also, I think the people who say they don't see cultural appropriation, like they don't see the race. It's like what we're talking about when we're talking about people are race blind. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah everyone's exactly. like one happy the single family. Like, it's all bullshit. Yeah, they're not. Those people who say, you know, we're all the same and shit like that. Mm-hmm. I find that deeply insulting because they're not mm-hmm. they're not acknowledging that there are different facets of capital that we all hold. Yeah. You know, like right. a white man holds more sexual capital than an Asian mm-hmm. man for instance, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's yeah. so insulting when people are like, oh, "I'm going to treat you like anyone else." No. Yeah. Which is I'm not actually not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like when we're talking about food culture appropriation, that's like uniqueness and the space been taken up. It's also a fear of like the loss in translation kind of thing. Okay, let's just take an example that um, there's this uh, there's this restaurant. I don't know if it's mm. called restaurant anyway. Eatery called Bow Brothers. Um, oh yeah, Newtown has one. Oh, do they have one in Newtown now? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's been there for ages. So there's these two white brothers that they open like a food truck selling bao and for those who doesn't know which bao I'm talking to or talking about B-A-O. yeah it's the uh, gua bao so they start yeah. selling this uh, tiny street food that is literally it's like a sandwich but steamed bun and you have like uh, braised pork or different type of meat in it and some of the yeah. pickles it's so delicious and then you have peanuts sprinkle on top of it anyway yeah so we yeah, were yeah. this is like we know when we're growing up this is like the tiniest cuisine mm. and then i think last five ten years been popularized with a, a couple of chefs on tv and then oh really yeah okay. um and then this uh two brothers they were selling bow in a food truck this is back in like mm. two or three years ago in new uh newcastle oh, the first okay. time i saw it, i was thinking okay i'll i'm gonna definitely gonna have a look and i always thought that it's gonna be <laughs> asian selling them right yeah and then when i first approached the food truck i was like oh okay it's all uh white hipsters with like you said um beard and tattoo over <laughs> then selling mm-hmm. the food I was kind of disappointed at first, but then I was thinking, okay, I'm not going to make a judgment on it. I'm just going to try the food and um, judge them later. <laughs> yeah. And then it was selling like, what, like 6 or $8 for a small, tiny bao, gua mm. bao. In, in, in the context of like, I'm just going to use the Chinese language, like, it can't even like that mean? fit in, like it doesn't, the amount of the food has no... It's not even enough to uh, fill my gap between my teeth. So right, it's literally right, me. I'm okay. saying that it's not enough. It's just a, a small, tiny portion for mm. the amount of money that I didn't think was the equal value. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say I made a mistake? Um, the one in Newtown on King Street is Belly Bow. Oh, Okay. But every I, I'm trying to look at where who who's the owner, but my internet is down. Um, it, I think, um, but every time I've been there, I've been there three or four times now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not definitely not as good as um, 
What's that restaurant, Taiwanese restaurant in Chatswood that we always go Bao to? Dao. I forget what it is. Yeah, Baodao. It's not as good as Baodao. Mm. But um, every time I've been, it's always been white people there. Yeah. And also the, the people behind the bar and the waiters are white. Uh-huh. Like white hipsters. Like they look like a, a generic bartender in some Erskineville bar, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always felt that kind of weird. You know, and I would like to have this conversation with a white hipster to say, to, to like hear his thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking that, okay, are you making like authentic guabao or are you just capitalizing on something that's trendy, that's happening now and everyone's like yeah, jumping the, exactly. onto it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like what we've talked about, Helen, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago with all these fucking white people who have not one white fr- one asian friend and then they start posting black lives matter stuff yeah. on their instagram mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like fuck off mm-hmm. you know like you don't give a shit about asian or black people because you don't even have one asian or black friend mm-hmm. so don't tell don't go posting this performative virtue signaling I find that so insulting i think it's more insulting when they're capitalizing and com- commodifying on the resource or the intellectual properties yeah. of someone else that will like they just I feel like they're just taking up too much space. White people take up too much space. Yeah. Mm. I was just listening to um one of the I'm just gonna relate to one of the podcasts you suggested mm. me listening to it this week. It's called yeah. Wise Night P- Parents. Oh yeah. Well, and the other podcast that is by um NPR about cultural appropriation. Yeah. When white people comes into the field of that is not their expertise, I feel like they try to gentrify it and make it look more posh and then put a dollar sign on it to to, like identify the value of this. And they are the one or they assume they're the one to determine the value of this kind of property. Like for example, the food. Yes. Oh my God, I love everything you're saying. Yeah. And I just feel like, gosh, we're here all the time. Yeah. Like this food has been here for ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now you're taking up the space yeah. and putting on, a, 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 you know, the price on it yeah. and say that we are the one to determine the value of this item. Yeah. That's just, that just frustrates me. That's so repulsive. And I think yeah. the reason why they feel like they have the audacity to do that is because um, they have always... They've been surrounded by a history of them being the dominant ones. Mm-hmm. So they see no problem in doing what they're doing because that's what's that's what white supremacy is. Cultural white supremacy yeah. is basically like saying I determine what is important and I determine what is what is valuable. Like that's why I'm so that's why I turn away from the canonical works of Western literature. You know, James Joyce, David Foster Wallace, Jane Austen, all those people, mm-hmm. um, they were determined to be valuable by people who are not like me at all. So why should mm-hmm. I inherit their values and inherit inherent inherit uh, sorry, uh, their value criteria? Mm-hmm. I want to determine my own sets of value criteria. I want to tell myself what I think is worthy and what's not worthy, you know? Same goes yeah, for everything yeah. that we're talking about, not just in literature. Yeah, yeah, true. From what the what I heard this week on one of the podcasts uh, from NPR, there was a social psychologist talking about the uh, cultural appropriation. Um, this uh, postdoctor fellow, Ashley Carter from New York University, she said that in, from one of the studies, she identifies that the white people who wanting to, like, like what we've just talked about, you know, taking up upon the culture that is not from their own background. They're usually the people who want to distinguish themselves. Like they want to um, be more outstanding. Because think about it. If you have an Asian person that's just selling books of noodles and dumplings and a white girl who is selling a book of noodles and dumplings, which one's going to be seen as more popular? Yeah, in, say, more like commodifiable. Yeah, more commodified. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But for us, it feels like they perceive as a trace passing, you know. It's just, you know, they could be like a what we're doing like now, like um, criticizing on them of what they're doing. Any final thoughts? 
some people say it become it might become a universal thing, you know, like crossing cultures and it should it wouldn't be as much discussed in in the future. But I think it needs to be discussed because yeah. it is important. Yeah, everything we're saying about the politics of food is so important. It reminds me of Wesley Morris said a few weeks ago on his podcast that um, because of the rampant racism and the portrayal of black people and the association the association of black people eating watermelon and fried chicken he said his whole life he was very wary of eating watermelon and fried chicken in front of white people mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know that's that's like it's like inextricably linked and that stereotype has been created um, and funneled through the centuries by white people. And so here mm-hmm. was this gorgeous black man who spent his life being terrified of eating a watermelon in front of white people. You know, And I think it's important that mm-hmm. our listeners think about the politicization and the moralizing of food by white people, by the dominant race. Um, and I guess for me, like I hate fusion restaurants. So mm-hmm. I hope that there is... Uh, like I think... I think there's, I mean, everything you and I are saying today, like when we, when you said about the capitalization and the commodify, commodification of um, ethnic food by white people, it's all related to capitalism, you know, yeah, like who can make yeah. the biggest bucks. And that's right. I think capitalism drives racism. Yeah. And stereotyping as well. Mm. I think because the last. There was this viral video about Uncle Roger, you know, laughing about another Asian cook mm. on BBC, mm. how she, the way that she cooks rice is very wrong and she, he, he kind of ridiculed her through like a viral video. Mm. Like initially I thought it was funny, but then like the whole is whole world is watching his video yeah. and then with his particular Singlish accent, like yeah. everyone laughs about it. And I think it just portray a, a deeper stereotype. Yeah. Of how Asians, how Asians speak yeah. in the way that he kind of points his finger yeah. and criticizing on another cook. Yeah, who was a woman, by the way. Who was a woman? Yeah. Yes, I did not like that video. Cook, yeah. I thought it was atrocious. This is a problem here when we have sometimes, you know, cooped up in our own little bubble mm, and mm. thinking that this is the only way that we do things. Mm. Apparently, there's a lot of Indians that cook the way that the BBC, uh, what's her name, Hasha. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of lost the name. Yeah, the BBC host, um, the way that she cooked the rice yeah. is perfectly fine. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we'll have. We'll make mm. sure we link that video to the show notes so that people can have a look at it. They made their own judgment. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thanks again to uh, all our listeners. Yeah. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify, and now we're on Google Podcast too. Oh, thank you so much for uh, doing that, Helen. No problem. Uh, remember to give us a rating and review. You can find our um, updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under. We welcome discussions and feedbacks. So we'll chat to you next week. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Eat well. Eat well. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Eat well. Bye. Bye.